For decades, milk has been fueling women marathon runners as the OG performance drink. And in the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers takes us on a journey of self-discovery as she meets several groups of empowered women runners to find out what drives them, what fuels them, and what pushes them to go the distance. And in the process, she learns that she too can be a distance runner. You can watch the series at runningsuckstheseries.com and register for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Hello, this is Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Fulter Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, I have a comedian come on to play a clip of one of their bits and then discuss how they wrote it and how it fits into what they're trying to do with their comedy. Comedians sometimes have silly ideas. It's a great thing about them. However, usually those with the resources to see things out to their fullest potential tend not to have time. And and those who have the time don't usually have the resources. Don't get me wrong. I love a scrappy little thing, but... Ever so often, a comedian comes out with a big, wild swing, and it reminds me what I love about covering comedy. For example, of a past Good One episode, I'm thinking of the Lonely Island's visual concept album about the Bash Brothers. This week, we have something truly unbelievable that only becomes more unbelievable when you realize how much work went into it. A little over a year ago, Chelsea Peretti, who also made one of my absolute favorite stand-up specials, well, ever, Netflix is one of the greats, left her role as Gina Linetti on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. When she left, the hope was to get back more time to spend following her own muse. And her muse turned out to be coffee. Like, the drink. She loves the stuff and how it makes her feel. So much so, that with more time on her hands, she decided to record an entire album about it. She called her friend, music producer Cool Kojak, who has produced songs for Nicki Minaj, Kesha, and Flo Rida, and who produced the frantic songs Chelsea would play on her podcast called Chelsea Peretti. And together, they recorded dozens, if not hundreds of songs just about coffee that are actually not just about coffee, but actually are definitely just about coffee. The songs are very funny, except for when they're not. And in those cases, the comedy comes from the fact that a person put this much work into a serious song about coffee. The music walks a line that's hard to categorize as one sort of thing, as silly as it sounds, and it's very silly. It's one of the most successfully paradoxical works of comedy in recent memory. If it's not clear, I freaking love this project. While she puts the finishing touches on the whole album, today, the day when this interview comes out, Chelsea is dropping an EP entitled Foam and Flotsam, as well as two music videos. This will be the first of two EPs, with a full album scheduled to come out in June. Though we play clips from all the songs on the EP, before the interview we're going to play all the first track, Late, a song about coffee, and so much more. We spoke to Chelsea last week over Zoom, just like you. Uh, Well, not Chelsea, just the Zoom part, probably. Right? That makes sense? Anyway, here is Chelsea Peretti's Late.
plate With wet hair and coffee and a scone Seems like you could have skipped one or two And I wouldn't have been alone Waiting for you All alone at our set time that we said I was here at one on the dot You were not You lied and said that it was hard to find a parking spot I'm here with Chelsea Peretti. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> it's my absolute honor. Thank you for having me. Um, so let's start here. How, how are you doing? How has quarantining been for you? And I know on Instagram, I've seen you cooking and doing makeup tutorials. You've became the celebrity face of the Dogano coffee movement. Oh, my gosh. Um, wait, isn't it Dogona? Oh, I have no idea. Dog- I, I literally just said it out loud for the first time. I've seen it a bunch. Yeah. Um, it's going, you know, I don't know. It's like, it goes in waves and I feel like everyone kind of hit a breaking point at like three weeks. Everyone that I know where you're just like, this can't keep going. (laughs) I, I know that I'm lucky and I I recite that a lot, you know, to make myself. And I, I actually do feel pretty, um, in positive spirits aside from like, reading any if I read anything it goes to a dark place quickly Mm -hmm. but um 
but yeah, I don't know. Cooking is good because it just takes your mind off everything. Um, so before we talk about the album, I want to just back up and talk a little bit about coffee generally. What is the story of your love affair with coffee? You know, I think that it might be because Italians, like my my dad's side of the family, which is a hodgepodge that leans Italian, they would, I think they would give me coffee with milk in it when I was mm-hmm. little-ish. I don't know. But anyway, regardless, what's not to like? It's a real pick-me-up. <laughs> I mean, it smells great to me. Um, and then it just makes me so, like, energized. I'm explaining coffee. <laughs> I know. Well, it makes sense considering what we're, the album we'll talk about for this entire interview. That So when did you, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's a funny question to ask, but, like, coffee then became a bit of a muse for you comedically. Yes, because when I drink a lot of coffee, I do wind up getting really, really energetic. And then I tend to, like, sing or act, you know, act a fool as the case may be. And, um, and so, you know, it's, it's a muse. It's definitely, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely so, a muse. So getting into making music, as you told it, Cool Cole Jack, who is a legit music producer, had been making the sort of short songs you were doing on your podcast called Chelsea Peretti, like Coffee Cranking Through My Sis. Hold for applause. When you call Kojak a legit music producer, it really makes him sound even shadier and like more <laughs> yeah. like to have to call him legit in his intro. <laughs> um, you said you've talked about doing an album with him before. You mentioned that there was an email in 2012 about it. So how did you decide to actually start working on it? And how did it evolve from whatever the first kernel you had to sort of the big picture of what this album became? You know, it's funny because anything I've like created, people always ask the Genesis story. And I'm, I feel like I just have like a weird blind spot. Like I can't exactly remember how it unfolded. You know, when I used to go on the road doing stand up more, I would, drink coffee and then I would send him these audio recordings of me just singing you know acapella of course mm-hmm. uh, just random songs and then he would turn them into to actual songs with instrumentation and and I would put them on my podcast and that's how the coffee cranking song came about because <laughs> Kojak has worked with like pop people and he's good at making like an actual pop sound if he wants to and so he took my my manic you know, drivel and turned it into this catchy thing. I mean, listen, I don't want to undersell myself. I'm an incredible songwriter. Sure. But, um, but yeah, so that's kind of how we started. And then, yeah, he had, we had thought and talked about doing an album, never really did it. And then we both were at a place in our careers where we just wanted to do something fully for the creative mm-hmm. spirit of it all. And I mean, we were just going to slap something together really quick and be like, <laughs> and do it in like a month and put out an album and then it turned into this odyssey this this kind of i don't know what has it been a year i don't know it's eaten up all my time and then we made like a real album and all these different people worked on it musicians and it just turned into this thing i just kind of followed it down every wormhole Mm. you have said that like when you started it you're like oh we're just making these silly songs and then somewhere you're like oh we're making 
good songs or like we're making songs. Can you talk about that difference and that breakthrough? Yeah, I mean, well, it started like we're just going to make a coffee album. And so, of course, your first thought is just really hyper songs, really aggressive, really repetitive. And that's what we were making. And then as I was reviewing them, I'm like, I hate listening to this. (laughs) And so I'm like, is there any way we can make this album less annoying and then I feel like I got into like really trying to make good music and then like there was a phase of that for a couple months and then it was like wait a minute wait a minute these songs aren't funny anymore what am I just trying to make real music now and so then we bounced into like a much more comedic phase where we got into like I felt like through all this whole waves mm-hmm. of journey, we got into songs that sound good and are funny. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to focus a little bit on late for a, a few questions. Uh, so uh, it's the opening track on the EP. What was the uh, the initial spark of an idea that made you want to write a song in, in that area? Well, <laughs> I mean, first of all, this song... I was going to say that it came at the end when we found the comedy again, but actually that's not true. This concept was something we explored early on, but it was a totally different genre in its first um, incarnation. It was a um, really high energy kind of just completely different song. How are you going to show up late but have a coffee in your hand? Mm-hmm. And again, I felt it was kind of annoying. And I so, so later I was like, let's make this emo. Let's let's take the same concept and make it really emo. And, you know, I was thinking of like Elliot Smith and like, you know, just really vulnerable <laughs> and, and just kind of letting your vocals just be more raw, but like mm-hmm. still have this like vulnerable, you know. <laughs> But that song wound up being, I think, of any of the songs on the album, the most, like, stand-up. Um, so, in general, the first steps was you'd have an idea, and then you would talk to... Would you then talk to Kojak out about what you wanted the music to be? Like, it was... Oh, yeah, musically. So, I, a lot of times, would improvise a song, and then we would take from it um, the parts that worked and expand on that. And, and so, I do frequently improvise things that kind of work and become kind of earworms mm-hmm. and so <laughs> i improvised this in a totally different version and genre and so then i kind of took the pieces i liked and then expanded on it and kojak will sometimes play piano with me as if we're like in musical theater or something <laughs> and he'll accompany me and we'll both be kind of vibing where i'm singing some emo soft song and he's playing the piano that goes with it and and then we'll, you know, switch it up from there. Take so you, so you'll just like riff on the idea of that, and then the concept, and then you re-record it once you pick from those lines, or you just would pick some of those sections. We'll use some of the ones from the original sometimes, but then we'll re-sing them or we'll rearrange them. And I mean, sometimes it's not always the same process. Like sometimes we'll be sitting outside of his studio and he'll play guitar and make up. We'll be making up stuff together, or I'll make up. Um, lyrics and I'll record them on my phone and then we'll go back in and and record them. But yeah, it's usually just like I've found a lot of good stuff from improvising and then writing it 
off of that. Um, you mentioned this is the song that's most like stand-up. Yeah, um, <laughs> it is the most like stand-up because it it has like a lot of like what I would call like reversals in it. Like you think, okay, I know the joke, and then it changes, and then it changes again, and it also feels kind of like. I hate to use the word of rant, but it feels like exploring every angle of why something is irritating. Yeah. And that's what I would do in stand-up. And it has twists and turns that are, you know, the surprises that make people laugh when you're doing stand-up. The, the thing that I think a lot of the songs, at least most of the ones that are more, let's say, word-heavy, you would, like, establish the premise right away and then sort of iterate on that how did you realize like that's the, f- the sort of general format of like this song or um soundproof has the same sort of thing where like this is what it is now i'm going to just like talk about this thing in different ways over and over yeah i think that it that's what's been so fun about this for me is realizing the ways and i think there is this symbiosis between musicians and comedians like we always want to be each other and stuff and and just realizing that in songwriting like there there are similarities like you want people to know what the premise is mm-hmm. you want them to know what the mood is so that they can get invested and get on board for the joke or the song you know but yeah so but every song was different and so they were all kind of written and created differently but but it has been this this creatively just just such a fun process to mm-hmm. see what translates from stand up and comedy writing into music um, I heard you talk a little bit about this on the Talkhouse podcast with the Imperial Team's Will Schwartz, who is also featured on the album, about thinking about uh, thinking about the lyrics being funny or, or the singing being funny, and how that contrasts to the idea of being funny, where instead of having every line being funny, you need to sort of commit. Can you talk about that line between like, oh, this needs to sound like a comedy song, or like we need this to sound like a real song? How did you walk that line? How did you think about that? I mean, some of the songs like really aren't funny. Like, and that's the thing that then becomes funny to me (laughs) is that I'm writing like a serious sad song. There's one song that literally made me and Kojak, my producer, cry. Mm -hmm. Then we brought in his friend and now my friend, Jerry. And then Jerry was like kind of making jokes about it and stuff by the end of us, like explaining it to him and playing it for him, he cried. So now there's a song on this dumb comedy concept album about coffee that has made three grown people cry. Which which song is that? Grandma. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. But then, you know, that, that song also has been through so many journeys. I mean, me and Kojak both love our grandmas so much. And we went on this insane... <laughs> journey through like 50 iterations of a song about a grandma we feel like we know this woman now that we're singing about who's kind of a fictionalized all-purpose grandma yeah, so, you know, to me, sometimes it's okay to not have it be jokety, jokety, joke. And if every song was jokety, jokety, joke, I wouldn't want to listen to the album. Now, some people, they would, and that's what yeah. they're going to be looking for, and they'll be confused. But other people will appreciate the variety and and having a respite from kind of jokiness at all times. And then it becomes kind of a 
a deeper joke, which is, why did you make this song? <laughs> which for me is also very funny. And why is this song on a comedy album about coffee? Um, so the song, ha- the late has a, what they, there's two turns, as you mentioned. The first one is that the song is really about you. I think the whole, all the songs I've heard has an interesting relationship with being genuine and being sort of ironic. How real is this moment? And, and what does it even mean to you, sort of that, this section? Well, I think that I'm always interested in the idea of hating yourself. And, you know, this song certainly is an examination of that. You know, I fucking hate when people do this, but I myself do this. And I think that that's, um, that's something I'm always fascinated by. I mean, there's a whole term self-hating Jew. And, you know, I, why is that? And why is it that some people are born with, less self-doubt than others and why do some people feel confident when they wake up in the morning you know my stand-up special i had a joke about how it must be to wake up if you're a guy and you're like (laughs) you know wake up just like everyone wants to hear how i'm feeling i actually can't remember my own joke now but but regardless i've been sort of obsessed with the idea of confidence and believing in yourself thinking you're hot thinking you're you know smart, whatever. Actually, I think I'm smart. Yeah. I will say I think I'm smart. But um, that's, that's where a lot of my problems lie. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so it's a song about a pet peeve, but then implicating yourself as well and saying, listen, I'm not immune to this. And then so then it talks about TM, which for the listeners who don't know is short for Transcendental Meditation. Where did that idea come from? What does it represent? Why end on that note? Because Wait, you're not in L.A., right? No, but I do know people in L.A. (laughs) (laughs) Then you should be thoroughly familiar because Transcendental Meditation is, and listen, I have to say, carve out a space to say it does seem to really help people. And I, I actually, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area, which is an important piece of the puzzle. So I grew up surrounded by you know, I what I would have, you know, as a teenager been like, you know, hippies or earthy people or bohemians but now i'm like you know actually have a newfound respect it's like environmentalists people who were interested in recycling and zero Mm. waste and things like that well before it became like more urgent you know um but i've always had this kind of love hate thing where like all my friends are super bohemian and super lovey-dovey i don't like hugging that much you know and but on the other hand i do care about things like the environment or, you know, your spiritual, like being happy and the mind body connection and things like that. So TM is like this sort of thing that it's like trendy spiritual, which I always kind of raises my eyebrow a little bit. And then in talking to people about it, you know, they're like, yeah, you get a mantra and you repeat it over and over. And I'm like, okay. And someone has to give you that mantra and they're like, yeah and then you pay them like i think it's like twelve hundred dollars or something i don't know it's a sliding scale but it it gets up to over a thousand pretty pretty easy and listen i know everyone has to pay their rent everyone has to eat but it's just like i don't want my spiritual teachings to be something i'm paying for i just feel like across the board the conflation of religion or spirituality Mm. and like financial contribution is a little questionable it I mean, the way you talk about it also, it, it makes me think of 
I feel like throughout your career, you've had a complicated relationship with like earnestness and taking yourself seriously. And I feel like this section, especially, I don't know, kind of has it both. Like you do take it. It's a song and you're trying to sing nice and it's like honest and genuine. But you also like it's like you can't just have sit in it being a genuine moment. Well, listen, you have grandma for that grandma's for that but yeah i i just started feeling like i don't want to disappoint comedy fans <laughs> i want people to have something to laugh at and you know i me and kojak laughed so much we were just cracking up for like eight months you know and and so i i want that to be reflected in the music but mm. i definitely took some swings that were not jokey so you know i'm sure that there'll be something for everyone to criticize <laughs> With music, are you more comfortable being vulnerable than you are with com- comedy straight? You know, has your relationship to being vulnerable evolved? What does it mean to you at this point? Well, kind of. I mean, I think music is more cool, not just for the vulnerability, but just that you don't have to explain everything. Like, mm-hmm. you can get so much out of the actual musicality and the mood and the tone like stand up you can't just be vaguely in a mood and people are like cool (laughs) i mean i guess some people can but (laughs) i definitely know that even with stand up when i got to a certain place with it i was like i don't want to be trying to act tough on stage like that just isn't creatively fulfilling for me and when i started out i was surrounded by like new york guy Mm -hmm. comedians were like you just gotta get up three times a night you just gotta this you gotta kill it you gotta crush and I'm like I don't think that this we have the same value system like I truly never even thought about crushing like I was like (laughs) I was like I just need to survive you know I just want people to like me and I don't know and so I I know that I explicitly made it a point to be vulnerable in my stand-up too um but yeah, I mean, some of the songs are definitely, like I said, not not jam-packed with jokes. Um, it's interesting because, as, especially in your stand-up, for, there's an idea of what vulnerable is to a lot of people in comedy, which is like confessional and like grossly honest or whatever. But it felt like for you, vulnerable meant, you know, not being so tough, but also like being way sillier. Can, can you... Th- can you talk about realizing that? How, how does your silliness and your honesty relate? I realized that a lot of comedians that I was friends with would be silly and fun and you talk to them and then they'd get on stage like, okay, people, like who this or that? Now you stupid dummy, you know, whatever. And I'm like, wait, what happened to this silly friend that I love? Like, it's almost like people have to put on some kind of armor to go dominate a crowd. And, yeah. and for me, like... I just, the the words, the fact that you're saying the words vulnerable and silly is like actually like, <laughs> what if I start crying? <laughs> but it's, it's actually like makes me feel so good because that was like explicitly goals where I'm like, I don't want to be too scared to just be silly on stage. Yeah. How, I, I asked this of David Wayne recently, which is I'm curious for comedians. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> well, I just don't want it to, I don't want listeners to be like, he already asked this question to somebody else. This is not for you. I'm not, I know you wouldn't be impressed, but um, I am curious with comedians who can be silly, who can have a childlike innocence in their work, having what, what effect having a child has on how you viewed that part of your comedy. Well, it's great training for being silly because <laughs> my, uh, 
my kid loves, you know, being silly. I think also though it might be because he's like our kid, you know, yeah. I don't know. But, um, but, you know, I remember being pissed because these Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans were like, in some comments somewhere were like, hopefully having a baby will make her softer or something. And I was like, fuck you. Like, what, you want me to get softened by motherhood? Eat shit. And they're probably like teenagers. Yeah. But, um, but then on the other hand, I, I do think being a parent changes you, you know, and I'm not quite sure how though. <laughs> I, I mean, I still, I still hate people. Yeah. <laughs> did, did it affect the, what you felt like you should put out there because how you viewed people in general, like you might have the opinion still, but it's what you decide to put out there might be different. Yes, I do think that, but I think that was already happening as part of just getting older and being like, I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to make people feel bad. And, you know, now do I always stick to that? No. <laughs> Sometimes I, <laughs> my id takes over, my mm. sharp rapiers. Um, but yeah, but but I will say as a mom, like I started marveling like, everyone I see is someone's baby, someone's child, you know, like even looking at the audience and being like, Oh my God, you guys were all babies. I'm just like, Oh, you were so much work. All of you, <laughs> you know, and that, that was kind of a different way of seeing people, but yeah, like people talk about an inner child, but I think once you have a child, you're like, Oh, there really is a child inside of everyone. I'd like to play uh, a clip for, a few of the other tracks on the album just so people can get a sense of the other things so uh oat milk i need oat milk i want to drink my coffee with oat milk do you have it why, why don't you why don't you why well tell me about how does it fit into the project what do you like about the song what was the idea behind it um, well, I, you know, obviously I just was really getting into oat milk. I had a couple of friends, Kate Berlant was a big proponent, uh, Esther, uh, Pavitsky, a couple of comedian friends that were raving about it. My favorite coffee shop, I went there and had some, um, and I, I just couldn't believe how much it tastes like whole milk. <laughs> um, now since then I've been told that there's like canola in it and stuff. And like, there's the low fat version is better, but I've never seen it anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I've cooled off on it a little bit. I treat it more like a treat. Um, but it's delicious. And then I, uh, Oh, the day I recorded that I, I had to redo a bunch of the vocals cause it was actually really, really, really slow, <laughs> but I had had lost my voice. I, I had kind of been sick for like two months getting sicknesses from my toddler. Mm -hmm. And then I remembered this, like these um little pills from my health food store that help your immune system. And it immediately stopped. But I went and recorded with Kojak and I'm like, we should use the fact that my voice is like, uh, you know, it was like, Oh yeah, I can't do it now. But anyway, it was just super like, it sounded so yearning. And so I put that into the song. I was like, I won't have this cool voice forever. <laughs> um, chore. Coffee ain't working anymore. I must be off for something. I need caffeine cause life does not feel like a dream. You know exactly what I mean. No double shot help me express. So ain't no fluid feel like steam. Just a vapor of my former self, retired human. Chore. 
I always was a big fan of Chica and I loved her videos online and she has that same vulnerability. She also clearly has a, a great sense of humor. And I just, so you're barely on this, like you do the hook, but she does most of the song. Yeah. She's, she's um, got the, uh, the bulk of it. And then me and Kojak and Jerry were playing guitar and, and um, actually this song we initially were writing it for Anita Baker because <laughs> because Anita Baker is actually she's become sort of our um, I don't know what fairy godmother mm-hmm. mentor. She's like there was a time where she was maybe going to be on the album, and then I think how did she find out about it? Well, she followed me on Twitter, and I I followed her, and then she would tweet all the time about coffee. She's like coffee mm. cups up and she's always posting pictures of coffee. I'm like, I knew I loved this woman. I knew I love this woman. And so the whole time we're making this coffee album and she keeps posting these things. And I'm like telling Kojak and he's like, you have to ask her. I'm like, I'm not asking legendary <laughs> multi Grammy award winning, you know, songstress. Mm-hmm. Anita Baker to be on this dumb copy album but eventually of course I did and I DM'd her and then we sent her I mean honestly the absolute most embarrassing like what do you call it musicians demo or something Demo, yeah, yeah. O- Jack was singing and then I was singing and it's just we're trying to emulate like her her insane voice that like it just sounded like dogs howling at the Somehow we had the balls to send this to her and then she was like, I'll come in and she came to the studio and we recorded. Well, no, we didn't record. We played around with her and Money Mark was there and we were like writing a song together and it was like four hours and then she was like, I'm exhausted. And she went home and then she was like, I don't want to, I don't want to bog you guys down with my, I don't know, whatever. I think she just came to realize like, what am I doing? I can't come out of retirement for this nonsense. But she's remained on our team as a as a guide, and she's been so awesome, and and come out and hung out a bunch with us, and we eat sushi in Kojak's studio, <laughs> and I went to go see her show at Staples, and she, I just was backstage with Anita Baker, and it was just me and her pre her Staples show. I'm like watching her try to defrost bone broth in a um, <laughs> electric teapot, and I'm like, this is. This is one for the memory books. Two musicians hanging out. Yeah. Chopping it so up. Anyway, so then she obviously didn't want to do it and right, you know, whatever. And so, but remains, you know, on the, on the team in a spiritual way. And then we completely retooled it because it was made in the sound of Anita Baker, but we loved the concept. And then I... I was like, I have no idea if I'm about to get rejected again, but let me reach out to Chica because I think she's so cool. And then she was down to do it. She came and we totally did it in this very different way. And it became a song that to me feels like one of the songs that you would hear on the radio or something. It's just, it's cool. But it, it weirdly touches on so many of the themes that I feel right now. Um, soundproof. 
Soundproof was of this most recent batch of comedic inspiration where <laughs> where we just went back towards comedy comedy, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just so I mean soundproof bathroom, there's no way to there's no way to not know the joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh and that one just kind of was one of those things. I felt like we put out we put together like a flurry of songs in the 11th hour that we thought we already had all our songs and soundproof and late were two of those. How much were you working on this album? I feel like I've like, I know you talked, but were you, was it like multiple times a week? How many, how many songs total did you make up to whittle down? Like how, how, first of all, it wasn't multiple. It wasn't like a couple times a week. We were every day from morning till night. <laughs> And <laughs> we were having lunch, coffee in the morning, then lunch, then like, you know, we would both at the time when we started, Kojak's family was um, in town. Now they've like relocated. But so we would both go home and see our kids at night. And then we'd work early in the morning until late afternoon. And um, but yeah, we were we were treating this almost like a full time job. I mean, it just kept expanding and it kept feeling like. I've never felt this way before of like, first of all, this level of just um, kismet with someone else, you know, where me and Kojak worked really well together, but also just this feeling of just following voices <laughs> and just going deeper and deeper into something. How many total songs do you think he did? I mean, I don't know. We're still trying to whittle down how many would go on the album because we're, you know, it's it's a lot of songs so yeah. i'm gonna guess that low hundred <laughs> possibly i don't know maybe like maybe 50 or 60 would be the conservative answer and yeah yeah but like this is including like starts and stops yeah. and things and yeah uh dad i never really had a Yes. What's what was the thinking behind that? How that's another one where it's like I can't tell how genuine or not genuine this thing is. <laughs> well, for me it's not about genuine or not genuine. That song it's it's about things can be funny and be sad at the same time and that's like something I've always loved. It's something that is funny but kind of hits you in the gut at the same time. And I think if like you had chaos or dysfunction in your childhood like you're used to or at least i feel like kind of calling out the elephant in the room or deflating the you know the energy with a joke somehow and it becomes sort of a coping mechanism mm. and so for me like i mean one album i really loved that my brother turned me on to when he lived in new orleans was um chris isaac forever blue and to me, that album is so funny and it's so sad. I mean, it's a, it's a heartbreak album and every single song is about heartbreak. 
but it's also like the lyrics are look at all you happy people <laughs> you know look at all the things you do mm -hmm. look at all you happy people i wish i could be like you i mean that's very funny but he's singing it with his heart and soul and i feel that way about a lot of country a lot of r&b i mean a lot of sad songs are also funny so yeah. it's fully genuine in that i think it's funny if your dad isn't around and it's also fucking sad <laughs> you know um you mentioned chris isaac so on spotify it seems you created a playlist called extremely meaningful music it's it's 240 songs long you describe it as these are songs that are like poems like museums sage some are like sundays some are like the cherry on top are they cool are they vital i don't know but they move me and it shaped me as a woman as and a person and an influencer uh, what are the meaning of these songs? What, as, if they are a vision board, what, what do they represent, these 240 songs? Well, I can't synopsize the collection because they each mean something so different. But I think that um, I was trying to, in particular, find songs that I used to listen to over and over and over and over. So a lot of them are older songs. But, you know, for different reasons, you know, a song that you would be compelled to listen to and then you listen to it again and again. So I was trying to include a lot of those songs. Now that could be something sad, like mm -hmm. an Amy Mann song or a Tracy Chapman song, or it could be something like an anthem, you know, like Love in an Elevator. Were they all inspirations directly to the album or are they sort of like, these are the songs that made me the musician that made this album? Well, that for sure. And then I did try to include songs that kept coming up. Like, I want it to feel like this. I want it to, you know, like dad, I was channeling Nico. Mm -hmm. I felt like dad was giving me that Velvet Underground vibe. Like, it's almost like singing with a slight accent. <laughs> we'll be right back with more Chelsea Peretti after this word from our sponsor. Calling all female runners, it's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. 
And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we're back with Chelsea Peretti. You've been talking about the album for a long time, and I think part of it is been working on it, but how is the sort of buildup to it part of the album itself? Well, I mean, I always just, from as a, as a bystander, think it's hilarious how promotion machines work, and, and not just musicians, but just everyone, like promoting things, especially like, I don't know, it's always like a little bit dirty and a little bit embarrassing yeah. to promote something, but... I just think it's really funny. I feel like musicians almost get a pass too because it's so dramatic, like what they're doing. And like, it's such like an honor to be able to say my release date was pushed mm -hmm. and, you know, just all these, these, <laughs> these dramatic interfacing with fans, you know? Um, but yeah, so I just love the whole pageantry of, <laughs> of promoting an album. And then this is the album that's it's going to be. Yeah. Um, the short version of this question is, is why, but it's why do this? I think, I think, I think you talked about it, but I'm curious how creative people who hypothetically can do anything, but don't need time is really the limit. What was it that you're like, this is worth the time, regardless of like, I know you just sort of started it, but during it, what was like, this feels like this is the time I should be spending. Um, you know, I wasn't. Well, first of all, like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or a show or movies, there's huge crews involved. It's, it's a big, massive production. There's intermediaries on every level to your creative process. Um, you get mic'd, you have a wardrobe person, you have a hair and makeup person. Like by the time you get to the creative work, you're so many layers mm -hmm. kind of shifted from where you started, you know? And so it was very appealing to me in the same way that stand-up used to appeal to me to not have so many middlemen um, and get to do something much more direct and concentrated. Um, but um, also stand-up post having a child, but even before that, I just, the idea that every single night you're supposed to be on stage, I just started feeling like it was a jealous boyfriend. Like, I don't want to right now. I, I'm into, like, I want to just sit and have a nice dinner. I want to go on a walk or whatever. And so lifestyle wise, it just kind of worked out perfectly. Brooklyn Nine-Nine wasn't happening and I didn't feel like driving all over town doing sets every night. And so this was something really, really creative that I could do from in the morning until afternoon and have this concentrated mm. creative experience. Um, you had mentioned um, having a sort of love and hate relationship to stand up right now, or even you said, I've heard you say like throughout your entire career, you've had this sort of ambivalence, but you have a pure love for this. What were your frustrations with uh, stand up beyond being a lifestyle, but like as a medium that made you feel sort of have a love hate relationship to it where this, you can have a more purity too. 
I mean, there's a number of things. One is what I said, which is that I feel like it's voracious of your entire life. Mm -hmm. Holidays, weekends, every single night, I felt guilty if I wasn't on stage. And I didn't like that feeling of owing my life to something in that way. Um, I'm also very moody. So I didn't like that I'm supposed to kind of be on stage dancing for people tap dancing for people every night, regardless of how I'm feeling, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I do think I'm increasingly introverted. Um, but then also, you know, most lineups, even though there's so many successful female comedians right now, most lineups at clubs are mostly guys. And I always feel like, you know, the guys that are like, you got to get up every night, you know, telling yeah. me that I'm like, would you feel that same way if it was 20 women and you every night, would you be as psyched to go? And I, especially when I was younger, felt like I was going up after like eight guys who were fucking hate women and were going on and on spewing all this shit. And then I have to go up and be like, hey, I'm the person that everyone hates. And I, I just felt like I had this chip on my shoulder. Like I have to prove to you that I'm worthy of being on stage because I'm a woman. And I don't know. And then the travel, you know? Yeah. I mean, a comedian, by the time they get to 10 years in or so, there's they have a persona that is sort of locked in. Did you feel like there were limits to what you can do on stage because you sort of established what your voice was there, where music, because it's a new area, you were able to sort of do whatever fits? I guess so. But I still felt like I was like, here's what's my wheelhouse, you know? Yeah. Like, I know. But... But I also, I don't know if I feel that locked in with stand-up. Like, like, I always, when I was younger, would look at the older stand-ups that had a strong persona. Like, they're ranty, or they do one-liners, or they're, you know, and that's why I did, like, a more conversational style of stand-up where I felt like I can talk to you like I would to a friend about whatever, you know, I'm feeling. You know, I, I watched the the video of Oat, Oat Milk, which features Joel Kambooster and John Early, just dancing their hearts out. And Joel told me that your note was like, this is 100% serious. This is not comedy dancing. Um, but I was, I was thinking about that. And as you mentioned, you started in New York with sort of like really tough type comedian. Literally their TV show that a lot of them were on was called Tough Crowd. That's how tough they were. Um, but more recently, I feel like I see you hang out more with like the generation comedian that was right after you, the John Caperland, Patty Harrison these are people who I feel like beyond they they might have been influenced you at some point, but they they feel like they have less rigid idea of what standups need to be or what a comedian's career needs to be. Do you feel like you are being influenced by them? Yes. I mean, yes, because they're really funny and brilliant and creative. And I'm always inspired by people that are. Um, but I will say just to throw out when I started out in New York, there was also invite them up, which was, mm -hmm. you know, very inventive people were doing all kinds of characters and sketches and weird things conceptual things eugene merman and, and bobby tisdale and you know all kinds of people and there was also eating it at luna lounge so you know i wasn't just you know forced into this rigid tough yeah. cl club scene there was kind of this whole like weird dumb riff that i always thought was stupid between the alt comics and the club comics and i always related to both people and I didn't want to be forced into one identity. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's so many funny people right now that are doing really cool stuff. 
Um, I feel like having followed your career, there was always this split of beyond just sort of like whatever alt and club comedy is, but there were sort of mainstream comedic pursuits and like, I want to do projects just for myself pursuits. You know, why do you think that is with, with something like this? How do you hope people receive it? Like, how do you, who do you hope likes it? How do you hope they like it in terms of a thing? The thing that was so great about this is I wasn't thinking of it from like a commercial standpoint. And I think that is what's like exhausting about Hollywood in particular. I think New York was better for that. At least, I don't know, maybe it's because I was younger and didn't have as much commercial opportunity, but like it just felt so good to not worry about that stuff, like who it's going to appeal to. I mean, I think people who are, you know, fans of the various things that I've done, this will be right. You know, this will be awesome. And, yeah. I, you know, I also think because these songs have all gotten so stuck in my head and Kojak's head and anyone who edited the music videos and anyone who worked on it, they're like, this song has been in my head. Like, I just think they are kind of earworms. So I feel like they're very catchy and um, and there'll be the kind of songs that people will want to create stuff to and like make videos. And, and um, I just, I don't know. I just think that when you're really inspired and it's not calculated that good things come from that, you know? Yeah. You, you mentioned this a little bit, um, how, and when you left Brooklyn nine, nine, as you've talked about as a bit, the complicated of like, whose decision, how much of who decision, and we don't really need to get into that. But when, when you left to be like, I have this solo pursuit, were you hoping it'd be something like this? Is this like exactly how you imagine your life being? Of course not. No, I don't know. But yes, on the other hand, yes. I mean, I also wrote a movie. I, I felt like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you know, we shot like 23, I think, or 20 something, 20 something episodes a year. So really, you know, I just felt it took what I had creatively. I couldn't, I didn't have, you know, I know some people are able to be on a network show and then go do sets every night and you know this, that. I, for me, it was like, that was, that was my creative energy. And yeah. so when, when I was off the show, I, I was finally able to write a movie, which I've wanted to do for like 20 something years. And, uh, <laughs> and, and then make this album. So it's the silliest thing to undertake. But on the other hand, it has something that I take really, really seriously, which is creative fire, like true passion, mm -hmm. like true excitement. And like I said, like listening to the creative voice in me and just following it and not worrying about if it looks good post Brooklyn Nine-Nine or if it like, if it will sell and what my numbers will be like, yeah. just being like, I really think it's funny and I've worked really hard in comedy. So <laughs> I hope that I have a good sense of what is, you know? On, on one podcast, you said the thing you want to do before you die was make something you conceived of and saw through to the end that you feel extremely proud of. You're you're sort of talking about a movie, but then you sort of broadened it out. You know, I'm talking to you right before this comes out, but do you feel like this is an example of something that you did that? Absolutely. Like, I truly have thought about, I mean, I, this is a very morbid time, and I've really thought about if I died, like, at least, <laughs> at least I made this album. <laughs> what a crazy thing to leave behind and and you know and also my movie script you know I guess we could put that up online if I die but um but yeah I don't know I I just feel I do I mean I know it seems so silly and dumb but this is what I 
wanted to be my whole life is like make something that I'm fully inspired and and passionate and engaged in making and, and to, yeah see it through from everything from merch to this dumb Spotify playlist to the music videos you know to my bio on Spotify <laughs> hopefully you know as as this come out does it how does it inspire you as you go forward I mean I'm sure in a million ways like I could see this evolving into all kinds of things um i truly believe that when you follow i mean this sounds so cheesy but i really really believe when you follow your heart and you follow the spirit of true like creativity it has untold you reap untold offshoots from that seemingly it's hard to know exactly because you kept on being pushed but possibly was going to come out maybe a few weeks ago but what does it mean for you for this album to come out when the country is under self-quarantine in this dark time? You know, why put it out here? What does it say about what do you think about the value of comedy in a situation like this? Well, you know, it's the kind of thing where, and I felt this at every step of the way, like, and I think Kojak did too, of like, if this can't happen, then that's fine. Like, if if we have to pull it because, you know, it's, just been a horrible week for the u.s and it mm-hmm. seems inappropriate then fine we will like you know i do believe and i've believed since i was very little in the idea of comedy giving people relief and giving people catharsis and saying for people what they were too scared to say or what was deemed impolite to say or whatever but yeah so you know i don't want to be too self-aggrandizing i also just think on a simple level like people are sitting home and like you can't do much and maybe this will give people something to do for a little bit. And, you know, maybe it won't be so cathartic for them, but it'll give them just a bit of entertainment or a song that they like. When you picture it coming out, whatever time you have planned on dropping it. And then what is the feeling of reaction you're hoping for? Like what do you, I just imagine doing a thing like this, which no one is expecting it to be this. I've looked at the Instagram comments of people signing up for a newsletter of this. Yeah. Like, I don't know what this is, but whatever. <laughs> so this is going to be what it is. What do you hope? Um, I hope that people get the songs stuck in their head, that they listen to them over and over that they laugh, they get to have a smile, that they make a video or, you know, something, or they make gifts. I do say gif on purpose Mm -hmm. um, instead of gif, that they do that out of the music videos. You know, I think people are so creative that I don't know what they'll give back, but I I just think that it's going to be an inside joke that we're going to get to share. And like, even me and Kojak have like, a whole vernacular now that we have of inside jokes about this weird coffee rabbit hole. And so it'll be fun to not be a lunatic often, often a weird tunnel with Kojak, but be able to share those jokes with other people. <laughs> so that sound means it's time for our final segment, which is the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because it's comedy, it's a laughing round. Cool sound. <laughs> Thanks. I couldn't tell if that giant pause was just you hating the name of the segment so much that you left. Is there a joke you wish or or sketch or anything you should could steal? Not in like it's a different dimension. Everything's exactly the same. But this joke from another comedian or this whatever is now part of your act, part of your 
Oof. You know what the weirdest first thing that came to mind when you asked that question was this sketch on SNL called Tarmac Talk. And it was, I think it was Tim Meadows and it was just like a talk show on a tarmac at an airport. It was just very funny to me. Do you remember any jokes you wrote that hypothetically got on air for Parks and Recreation? God, you know, that's a good question. It's so weird because that room, we would get into the hottest, heaviest debates about so many ridiculous things like cake versus pie. And and yet when you say that, like, I'm sure I thought for so many jokes, I can't remember a thing. I do know, like for Kroll Show, I fought for Cake Train, like over, just broke them down over weeks and weeks of pitching this Cake Train sketch. And finally they did it. And I think it was like their most expensive sketch. <laughs> Um, do you have a favorite joke or joke you remember from Brooklyn Nine-Nine you liked performing or saying? Hmm. Um, God, you know, my brain isn't good for this it's kind okay. of thing. I have to think. I mean, Gina had so many quotables. Um, it's hard for me because then I just start thinking of memes or gifs or things, but I'd have to like sift through um sift through scripts for a few days to get a true answer to you. So um, is there anything you can say about the movie you wrote and hope to direct? And Um, what? Yes. Is that like this album, the idea of it and the vibe of it would be taking on serious thoughts and issues, but trying to make it genuinely funny in a way that you're really laughing and you know comedies I just have been like comedies have been leaving much to be desired for me in recent years and I really just want a comedy that really makes me laugh really hard Um, that's what I would try to do what song have you been listening to lately Mm. well we will rock you (laughs) (laughs) highly recommend Mm -hmm. um i've always loved the amy man save me um tracy chapman has been really hitting the spot right now and i feel like just in general like older music like from the 60s 70s like i feel like the whole folky social consciousness like songwriters is really hitting the spot right now uh what is the favorite thing you've cooked during the quarantine Mm. I've cooked so much stuff. I need to like, I need to review my Instagram to, to really think. I mean, I loved those dumplings, even though I made, I've been trying to make dumplings and like, they're terrible looking and they're really failures, but I craved a dumpling so much and I mm-hmm. couldn't find them anywhere. And I was like, I'm just going to fucking make them. I also made soba noodles. And so being able to make things outside of my wheelhouse has been exciting in, just in flavor profile, yes. but I clearly have a lot to learn. Um, is there a a joke that you've told a lot on stage that you kept on trying but has never worked that you eventually gave it up, or you still you haven't given up but it still has never worked? But you'll go to your grave being like, "That was funny, and everyone was wrong for not getting it." There's a lot of jokes like that, and the thing that's cool about doing stand-up longer is you figure out ways to make them work. You know, you'd be like, I've tried to make this work for so long and I finally did. In fact, one that comes to mind is I was trying to do this bit about people who have their dogs off leash in flagrant Mm -hmm. violation of leash laws. 
but the re- I think the reason it was never really working is because everyone fucking has their dogs off leash. So it's like the entire audience is like, well, we don't see a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. But for me, I'm like, I'm like, come on, get on board. So I don't know, but I, I think I could do it. I just haven't figured it out yet. You're observing everything and like, you're the only person on earth that thinks this is a problem. Right. And I have to figure out how to implicate people, but make them feel like it's fun to be implicated. <laughs> Great. That's the end. All right. Well, thank you. You were, I mean, you're just so thorough. My God. And such a great way though. That's it for another episode. You can stream Chelsea's EP wherever you listen to music. Follow Chelsea on Twitter at Chelsea Peretti and on Instagram at Chelsanity. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Art Chung. Editorial assistance from Amanda Gordon and Emily Sen. Gautam Shrigashin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing round suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next week with Daniel Sloss. Have a good one. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running, (laughs) but they choose to do it. In the new docuseries, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.